Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Cinema Films. On today's episode, I have a very special guest. Now, every previous episode, I've interviewed someone from the state of Alabama, but today I'm starting to branch out to someone who I have as a mutual friend um, with many members of uh, the Alabama Filmmakers Group, people like uh, George Edmondson and Alex Gibson. Um, we are all in a group called Video Creators That Care About Making Money. Uh, this is Stanislaw Liberta. Hi. Hi. Uh, he works in the Midwest and is very prominent in Final Cut uh, Pro and producing tutorials and content and presets for Final Cut Pro. He has an entire YouTube channel set up about that. Uh, we'll get into that later, but first I want to say hi, Stan. How are you doing? Uh, you know, I'm doing, I'm doing fabulous. I just, uh, I just stopped at a local camera shop and I picked up a new Sony lens that I'm dying to uh, try out, but... Um, this worked out great. I had time to go pick that up, and I'm going to check that out after this. Okay, sweet. So, tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you get started in this whole crazy video world? Okay, yeah. So, uh, I think other people have more dedicated paths, or maybe paths that uh, even make a little bit more sense, but mine really didn't. Uh, I guess it kind of started with me back when I was about 18 or 19, and I I grew up in Chicago, and I was filming uh, f different bands, friends' bands, or whoever came through at a place called the Metro in Chicago. It's still around. It's the uh, quintessential dirty, stinky club that everyone kind of starts out at and then gets really big and then comes back and does an amazing show there again. So I kind of started with that with like a Canon GL, GL2, and eventually I made my way into like wedding videography, uh, through my brother-in-law and then a couple other people. And uh, I decided, you know, it, it might be kind of fun to go and get a little bit more serious about this. And uh, I took some classes. I got a degree. And um, uh, unfortunately, I realized that my degree and uh, the, the specific place that I went wasn't, I would say, not really the best. Uh, it wasn't terrible, but uh, I, I would not necessarily go out of my way to put it at a top recommendation to do with the things I wanted to do, which was to work in uh, VFX, television, and movies. And uh, so that was kind of my path. After that, after I got out of school, I was kind of, um, you know, everybody kind of cuts their teeth on either their first jobs or looking for their first thing. And uh, I was working for my friend, uh, Apollo Marquez, who owns a couple nightclubs in the Madison area. And through one person and another and another, I ended up doing my first big job for the National Institute of Health. And uh, mm -hmm. was kind of put together a giant package. I worked on it for like a year and a half. And that was like my first big like paycheck and big responsibilities. And, you know, uh, there, there, when, you, when you do things for people like doctors or uh, the Institute of Health, there are very specific benchmarks that need to be hit, and uh, I was not aware of those. So I cut my teeth pretty hard and pretty fast, and uh, it was an amazing experience. And uh, then later, after that, I was tapped to train, and I was working at a place called C2 in Milwaukee, and I was their video instructor. So I spent about almost five years or so there, and I was traveling the country, teaching Premiere, After Effects, Final Cut, Motion, uh, you name it, I was pretty much teaching it if it was really dealing with uh, production and post-production. 
Uh, I can't say exactly specifically which clients that I worked with do the NDAs, uh, but I would say a significant amount of Fortune 500 companies, and I did some pretty cool things. Yeah, so that okay. was that's how I got to where I'm at. So, essentially, your your entire first years of, of, of working with video was between nightclubs and that music club, correct? Yeah, and then and then weddings. So it was very opposite. It was very, uh, you know, here's please don't spill beer on my camera. And, um, Hey, there's the, here's, there's the drunk uncle who's trying to pose in front of the camera. So it was, it was a uh, very interesting time to, uh, learn. Gotcha. Um, at any point did, um, did you have work on short films or volunteer work for larger projects or was it just strictly you being a solo shooter? I did uh, a couple. I, so through that whole time I was also freelancing so um, I would pick up lots of different jobs for, uh, I would say, a lot of screen replacements. I kind of became the screen replacement guy and the tracking guy. And um, that that paid a lot of bills. And uh, that really kind of uh, got me more focused on some of the VFX stuff that I really uh, wanted to do and still want to do. And I'm still kind of building that up. Um, so, uh, okay. yeah. Were, were, were you working in Final Cut at the time? I was not at all. Uh, okay. So I so I was like everybody else. I didn't take Final Cut Pro Ten uh, seriously at all, and um, the, I was still cutting on Final Cut Pro Seven. Uh, even when I was in school, I was doing some work for the school, and I was cutting in Final Cut Pro Seven. And we actually had one of the engineers from the the Pro Apps team come and try to sell us on it, and nobody was biting uh, and. <laughs> Looking back on it now, I think it was, I think it was really just a hard sell. There either people didn't understand what it could do, or they didn't want to understand. And now where I'm at now is I love Final Cut Pro 10, and I want it to be even better. And I see all these other ones, and I'm like, oh, hey, Resolve's doing some pretty cool things. Hey, that looks a lot like Final Cut Pro 10's like timeline. Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool. So it's kind of. It's it's weird to kind of, I guess, grow up and see like, oh, I get it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of weird, weird to see. Because I, I was, was just, just getting, getting into, into this stuff, stuff when 10 came, came out. out. And, and it was, was weird, weird to see everybody, everybody hate on the magnetic timeline and ripple editing. And now everything's about ripple editing almost. Yeah. Yeah. And I think um, it's, it's really interesting, too, because as it's been – it's been around for like 10 years. And mm-hmm. I've watched in the last few years Adobe – put out uh, their Rush, which is very similar. Uh, I'm watching Resolve do this. So that tells me like, oh, okay, this is a pretty good idea. And all of a sudden I see people like, huh, what is this Final Cut Pro even about? Uh, my, my deep fear is that uh, that there's not enough I don't want to say development because they, they just hired a whole bunch of people, but there hasn't been a lot of the updates that I would personally like to see in Final Cut Pro. I, on that note, I, I feel like Apple may have also written off Final Cut themselves when it didn't launch initially. Um, so, I, you know, p- people didn't take to it at the start. They've done just enough to keep it stable, but they haven't really pushed too much in the way of new features. The The most in-depth, you know, new update they've done was whenever they added the color tools that they added well so i i'll agree with that that you know those color tools were there and um 
I, I think that's really interesting because it's it's kind of one of those. I think one of the bigger updates was the, actually the 3D text. But mm-hmm. if you look at everything Apple does, it's always they they do something as a, as a test for something bigger. So, for example, the iPad Nano. It's like, hey, this would be great as a cool watch. And then eight years later, here's the Apple Watch and you can't find the Nano anywhere. And you see Shake and you're like, wow, this is really, really cool. This is way too complicated and too expensive. Let's cut it all down. And, hey, Apple Motion looks pretty rad. And a lot of it is Apple Shake. And so I, I think it's it's interesting. I think that we're at – I. I can't say for sure, but I think we're at a breaking point where there is going to be a watershed moment of some amazing features of Final Cut Pro uh, that are on the horizon. I hope so, because I, I like the software, but I find myself using it less and less these days just because of integration and resolve with like offline editing and other things. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So... That's basically like I, I I feel like your your career so far is in in a three act arc. Uh, so that's Act One. Tell me a little bit about Act Two because I know that you worked at a television station in Milwaukee at some point. Yeah, so it wasn't actually Milwaukee; it was in Madison. Okay, which is um, uh, I guess a cruel joke by God that uh, I lived in Madison for ten years and then I got a job in Milwaukee, and then uh, my my girlfriend got. Uh, a job Sorry in Milwaukee, and I immediately got a job at the TV studio back in Madison. So I was commuting for three years, about 15 to 18 hours a week. Mm. And uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not too familiar with the area. What's what's the drive like? Is it heavy traffic? Um, it's about an hour and 10 minutes each way, uh, mostly mm-hmm. highway. But I'll say okay. about 30 minutes of that is just dealing with the traffic in Madison. Uh, which is just what it is. Gotcha. Um, do you mind if I ask what TV station it was? Sure. So I, I, it, th- so this is actually my favorite uh, career point uh, working in production. Uh, I'm actually at the height of my career, what I feel like now, the work I'm doing now. But as far as working in a production facility, I was working at Wisconsin Public Television in uh, Madison, Wisconsin. And a lot of people don't know this, but that's where like the first radio station was and Radio Hall. And there's so much history in there. And uh, it's incredible. It's an incredible facility. It's the largest operating uh, studio in the entire Midwest. Uh, It used to be Oprah's and then it was Prince's. And those, as far as I know, are not operating. And uh, they have two very large studios and uh, a smaller studio and we were doing live production, we were doing um, scripted production and documentary features. My responsibility was a lot of motion graphics, so titles, openings, uh, lower thirds, and then also live graphics. So we have a new show, or they have a new show, I don't work there anymore, uh, called Here and Now and a few other shows like 30 Minute Music Hour, and I would be responsible for working the live graphics. Okay. What, I've been curious about that before. How do you do live graphics? So um, there are specialty software systems. Uh, there's a few out there. So any, any sports that you see, there are basically rack-mounted specialty hardware software packages that are character generators. And what's really special about them is the way that they have their own alpha channels 
and their own buffers so they can kind of take a video feed and kind of cut it out and put stuff on top of it with hardware. That's that's the most important part. Uh, things have gotten a lot more integrated and a lot more smarter, whereas before, and it's a lot of other facilities, you would have to type in every single thing and then kind of put it into a call sheet and it was almost like a you know a full script rundown. What's going to happen here? Okay, dial in this number and then have it go. Now you can do things via SEMPTI. You can pull stuff from online and uh, other uh, repositories. So, for example, if someone scores a goal, it would automatically update and feed the stuff in. And then really you're just queuing up different things too. So it's kind of like After Effects where you can build out everything and anything, but you have to know how to do that. Mm-hmm. Okay. But it's all hardware-based. Yeah, a lot of those machines are hardware-based. Things are starting to move software-wise uh, in a lot of ways. Uh, in, my, in my other life, uh, I do uh, some traveling VJ events, and I, I use a program called Resolume Arena. And what's really cool about that is it's almost like having one of these whole character generator uh rack mount servers that I can run on my MacBook Pro and feed four 1080p feeds, live camera feeds wirelessly through an iPhone, and still pull up graphics and clips on top of it without any slowdown. So things are changing nice. pretty quickly. Okay. Um, so you work at, at the, the public television station. That was almost exclusively graphics, or did you actually do any of on, on, um, the editing for... Uh, shows for broadcast? Uh, so I did mostly motion graphics. I was also uh, producing and directing uh, an animated feature. Uh, so we have another show at Wisconsin Public Television called Wisconsin Life, which is kind of a magazine show. They would do interviews and short stories about all these different people and different things in Wisconsin. And uh, every year or so, I would say about twice a year, the animation department would be tasked with taking a story and animating it. And so uh, as part of my research and development, I looked at saying, hey, I think we should use Unreal Engine for live animation. We should look at this down the road. And me and uh, my coworkers uh, put together a three-minute, four-minute animation uh, completely in Unreal Engine in an old 8-bit style uh, art style. Mm-hmm. Uh, is, that, is that the thing that the, with, with the bar and talking about the uh, the traffic in Chicago versus Milwaukee? I don't. Or know. Bad, Wisconsin. I'm trying to. There was there was like a, a a pixel art animated thing that I remember seeing not too long ago that you posted. Uh, I don't think it has to do with the the traffic. It was it was a, a story written by a former Wisconsin resident that moved to Illinois called Fibs. So uh, here in Wisconsin, just like how there's lots of rivalries between states, uh, in Illinois, they call people from Wisconsin cheeseheads because now there's a lot of cheese Mm -hmm. here. And in Wisconsin, we call people from Illinois Fibs, which stands for Illinois Bastards. So uh, there's, there's other acronyms like Fish and Fish Tab, which is F in Illinois shitheads tone a boat. Uh, so there's there's lots of uh, flowerly language. Uh, and what's really funny is I'm actually originally from the Chicagoland area. 
So you have to, you, you kind of live on both sides of this. Yeah, my whole family's in Chicago. Okay. Um, was that also animated? Is, is, is that is that the project, though, that you were talking about? That was my, my last big project that I did over at uh, Wisconsin Public Television. Outside of that, most of my stuff was really motion graphics or titles or credits or openers, uh, lots of flashy kind of animations or explainer videos, uh, things of that nature. Oh, you know what? Actually, I did spend a good year. I I can't believe I blinked on this. I spent a year and a half producing every single promotional video. So uh, if you ever watch PBS, there's lots of local, I I don't want to say commercials because they're not commercials, but they are sponsorships and grantors and a way for us to promote our grantors. And I was the grantor producer exclusively for about two years, and I had produced something like 400 or 500 of these different spots for everything you can think of. A yarn store or a car dealership, you name it, I had to make those pixels dance. Was that almost exclusively motion graphics, or did you also go out and have to have people shoot video for those? Uh, I So I was provided uh, video or photos, which was uh, always okay. a little bit more of a challenge when it's just like, here's a single photo, make this exciting for, for 20 or 30 seconds. And um, then I wouldn't necessarily have to shoot a lot of that. Gotcha. Um, okay. Do you mind if we, we move on to what you've done since leaving public television? Yeah, absolutely. So um, go ahead. Sorry, sorry for interrupting. Do, do you mind if I, I start, up, um, start off by asking about the, the YouTube channel that you run? Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. So um, I run... A YouTube channel called AV Ultra. Uh, before I took the job at Wisconsin Public Television, I was working for a company called C2 where I was doing all this training and I was constantly contacted by different companies, schools, or whoever to ask if you know I could come out and, and teach them for a day or a week or a month or whatever. And uh, I just I didn't have time for that. And I thought to myself, it'd be it'd be great to still be able to offer these things to people, uh, but how can I do that? And so I was like, why don't I take all this training that I've developed for like the last five or seven years or so and put it all online? And so that's what I did. I, I first started, my very first video I put together was for the Adobe Media Encoder, which so many people don't know or don't really know about, and it's it's phenomenal. Uh, the only thing it's missing is distributing distributive rendering, which they could just turn on as far as I can tell, uh, but they don't. So that was my very first video, and I had a good response from that. So I put like all my Premiere stuff on there. I put a bunch of After Effects stuff on there. People ended up buying out some of my After Effects stuff. So I had to kind of take that down and give it to them. And I started putting together Final Cut and Motion. And Final Cut was fun for me because like I, got, I was getting really excited about Final Cut. And Motion in particular was very challenging because it was so new and different from After Effects that I made it as a personal challenge for myself to take everything that I would do in After Effects and do it in motion. And I found out that, holy crap, a lot of this stuff is way easier and it's super cheap, 50 bucks and it's totally integrated. This is great. This is awesome. So I kind of ran with that. And uh, as, as far as I can tell now, uh, my motion videos are some of the highest ranked and most watched 
uh, motion videos out there on the web as of today. Okay. With, with Apple Motion, uh, one of the things I've always wondered is about the stability of, of the software. Have you run into any problems with that? No, I haven't. Uh, okay. The, the only times that I actually run into any kind of crashes or stability with Motion is when there are third-party developers that are making it do things that it really wasn't designed to do. And uh, and I understand it is, you know, they, they want to create their own things. And uh, Apple, as far as I can tell, is very closed. You can't really see anything in Apple Motion. So a lot of these developers have a very small pool to kind of work with and have to use their best judgment. And sometimes that doesn't lead to perfect compatibility. Okay. Um, the reason I bring that up is because at one point I was making a, a color grading app for Motion, but I could never get it to actually run without there being some sort of crash or compatibility issue. Um, so I was just curious on, on your perspective on was, that. Was that the thing that me and you were talking about? Yeah. Well, the the it, it, so, so for, for the people, people listening, at one point I was developing a color grading app for Final Cut and using Motion as, as my platform. And it wasn't necessarily film emulation so much as it was film simulation. The idea was to take the linear data coming in from the camera, split it into RGB, and then recombine those with roll-off at different um, heights and wavelengths, almost like using a low-pass and a high-pass filter to sort of mimic the way that dye and, and film would actually like fade off at the top and fade off at the bottom. Um, but it would still look like the footage from the digital camera that you used. Uh, it was just kind of like a nice way to clean it up a little bit. Um, but for some reason, once you start getting footage doing playback in Final Cut, it would crash. Um, I went in and I worked with people who knew Python to try to do like a Python add-on to, to keep it stable. That never worked. We tried offloading to a GPU-type um, system using a, another add-on that was created for this, and that never worked perfectly for some reason. Um, Motion just didn't like the idea of splitting RGB channels into separate entities and then recombining them. Yeah, and I think that is currently a limitation because uh, I have a, I have another friend, George, who was working on something not similar, but he was working with RGB values. And uh, to be honest, that has been one of my biggest problems uh, working with Motion in general was even before this color like update, I, I was constantly sending him reports being like, how can I, as a compositor, properly composite without having access to just the red, green, and blue values? Sure, I have them in, in my dropdown. I can view them, but I can't really manipulate just those, those values before you know even this color stuff. And even here, it's a little harder. I can't necessarily separate them out. Mm-hmm. That's that's one of the reasons why I love what Resolve allows you to do. If you, you want, want to split things into separate nodes, you can have a node, you know, tree dedicated just to each channel, and then add effects or add, you know, adjustments specifically to the red, the green, and the blue without having to worry about it affecting all of them. Yeah, and I think that's really interesting what they're doing, and I, and I've been keeping an eye on that, and I've been very excited uh, about what Resolve is doing because they're they they seem hungry and they seem uh, like they listen. And they're and they're watching everyone. Uh, I think with other companies, uh, they want to react very quickly, and then when they do, either something breaks or uh, it doesn't necessarily tick all the boxes. And Apple does the opposite. They they watch everybody else and they research and they really look at why something needs to work. 
and then when they design it, it's it's usually incredible. It just takes more time. So, aside, aside from, from AV Ultra, Ultra, what else do you have going on? So, currently, and uh, since I left, and really the main reason why I ended up leaving uh, Wisconsin Public Television is now I'm producing things for Motion VFX. And uh, Motion VFX, for people that don't know, are probably one of the bigger Final Cut Pro and Apple Motion template and plug-in makers. And uh, that it's been incredible. Everyone over there is so professional, so great, and uh, it's been an incredible opportunity. It's been tough. Like we, we have a lot of different projects that we're working on at once, and uh, my goal is to be able to create tutorials to best describe things and show how people can make some really cool things. Uh, and that's that that gets tough when you know you have uh, compressed schedules, but it's it's incredible. It's made me better, and uh, I think overall it's it's just been a, a great uh, cooperative effort. Okay, do you do any? Um, I mean, you, you you have used Unreal Engine for the the pixel art yeah uh, videos, but have you ever done any three D rendering? Um, using, say, you know, Unreal or Blender or Cinema 4D? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, years ago, I was really trying to get into Cinema 4D, and uh, the, the reality was I couldn't do that and focus on things like After Effects and motion tracking, all these other things. It was just too much to kind of take on. The other limitation was I didn't really want to spend another few grand on exotic hardware that ends up just being obsolete within six months, like pretty much every NVIDIA card. Like I, I think they're great, but it, it's diminishing returns. I'd rather go spend like a couple grand on a good lens, and that good lens is still going to be a good lens in a couple of years. So it was hard for me to justify that, and when Unreal kind of got really big, I would say with the Unreal Engine 4, and maybe it always was big, but that's when I really started noticing it because they started putting in cameras and ways to edit, and that got really exciting to me because... Ever since Element 3D from a video co-pilot, I was super interested in that because I, you know, I thought to myself, I'm looking at 3D stuff in video games that looks phenomenal all the time. Why can't I have this in my editing system? Why can't I have this on a computer and have it look pretty good? And so Unreal Engine really got my attention because there's a lot that you can do with it. And then on that same note, with Motion VFX, they have MO2, which is a real-time 3D renderer that does a lot of the same stuff that I was trying to do on Unreal, but is integrated with Final Cut Motion. And they were having a beta. I, I contacted them about it. And that's actually how I started working with them, was I put together a couple demo classes for them, and they thought it was great, and we're off and running. So... MO2, I, I haven't used it. I, I'm tempted to, because uh, I think they have a, a trial you can use, but it's. I, I understand that it's it's a 3D renderer, but is it ray traced or is it like a game engine where it, it does approximation using um, ambient occlusion? So it does use ambient occlusion. I won't say uh, the specifics if it can or does use uh, ray tracing. As far as my knowledge is, it does not at this time, uh, but I don't want to go on record saying that or anything because I, I don't want to be wrong, basically. Uh, okay. But based on my experience, I believe that it is uh, more ambient occlusion uh, and more, I would say, between something like Cinema 4D and Unreal, it's a little bit more like Unreal 
But the benefit of that is you can still do everything in Cinema 4D. And when you just want like a first pass render or even a, a last pass render that doesn't need uh, the, the, the same kind of hardware and time that Cinema 4D needs, it's phenomenal. So the stuff I was trying to do in Cinema 4D for years, I'm now doing in MO2 uh, pretty quickly. Okay. Do, does MO2 have modeling tools or is it just for rendering and, and shading? So it doesn't have modeling tools, so I can't I can't bring st- like you know make a bunch of primitives and then boolean them or anything like that. I can't kind of shape the geometry, uh, but you can bring in geometry from you know Blender from everything for the most part, and uh, it works pretty okay. well. Because I, I use Blender a lot uh, for three D and, and for motion graphics work and. As fun as it is to model things in Blender, the actual aspect of, of rendering and lighting the scene is not the most intuitive. <laughs> and that that was always my struggle. So, and like that's why I mentioned before with Element 3D, I was very excited about that. And then I was using M Object, which was before MO2. And when MO2 came out, I was really excited because it ticked all the boxes. And for me, it's kind of like I I can still work with the stuff from Cinema 4D if I want to model something specific, if I want to work with something super specific, but then I don't want to necessarily wait for a perfect ray traced render 60 Mm -hmm. frames a second for a 10 second thing. I can just pop it into MO2 and it's super quick. 